Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh! Run. Two on one. Green the finish. Wow, the alley Turned the corner. Inside! He made Yusuf Nurkic a screensaver. Here comes Murray. Alley up to Gordon. Oh, what a play! All right, joined now by Brendan Nunes of Sacktown 1140 and the King's Pulse podcast. He's our Sacramento Kings analyst for the Alley Oop. Really appreciative stopping by. Uh, Brendan, this has been a very interesting Kings season. We got the most interesting moment that I could remember in the Mike Brown postgame presser. Just uh, walk, walk me through that moment for Kings fans and how they felt in that. Yeah, I you know, I really wish that I was on the road at Milwaukee for that one. That uh, <laughs> seemed definitely like an all-time moment. And... Just the way he even got ejected mid-game uh, was seemingly very out of nowhere, uh, but he did the right. same thing in Toronto last year. I think it's clearly, from uh, what he explained post-game, a buildup of different feelings and uh, a different way of approaching it, for sure, to really uh, pull the receipts, I guess. And I do appreciate him walking through the logic, though. He's very transparent, and I think everything he said is understandable. There was just... Uh, variance in what he's getting told about rules and that sounds pretty frustrating to me but it's a great meme absolutely no it's it's a great sound by a great clip i i certainly use that meme to promote the alley-oop on my twitter yes i absolutely did that (laughs) uh but no he's uh he's an incredible coach man you guys have an absolute legend over there we're big mike brown fans on this show uh but we gotta i guess talk about where sacramento's at right now uh 23 and 16 record, 18th in net rating, 13th in offense, 19th in defense. The last time I checked for cleaning the glass, uh, Kevin Herter started again in the last game. I, I was curious as to your thoughts on that. You guys have kind of been going through the through the ringer in terms of who's starting a shooting guard over the course of these past few weeks. Yeah, they went to Chris Duarte for a little while. It reminds me a bit of like the beginning of last year. Casey Paula was starting, and then they went with Mo Harkless for a little while. Um, obviously, Mike Brown came into the Kings known as a pretty defensive coach, and their trademark last year was all on the offensive end, number one in offense last year. I think they ended 25th in defense, and they were really hoping to improve on that end this year. And I think that's just kind of where they were going with Chris Duarte. It doesn't help that Kevin Herter had not been hitting shots for most of this season, really. Him and Keegan Murray have been down as shooters, and Keegan's managed to uh, bounce back a good bit. But Kevin just started to get his rhythm. He did okay at the end of their horrible blowout loss to the Pelicans, but that seemed like it got him a little bit of a rhythm. And he's carried that over last game um, against Milwaukee. Obviously, kind of heartbreaking way to lose that in Dame time there. But I think that Herter had some big shots and kind of bounced back a little bit. But He's been struggling. He doesn't provide exactly what I think they would hope on the defensive end. And if the shop isn't going down, it just kind of is a tough spot for them to be in. But I really think going towards Duarte is less of Kevin not cutting it and more so just trying to switch things up to see how can we fix this defense that is not really sure by the numbers. It's gotten a bit better and they have moments, but it's just extremely inconsistent. Yeah, and it seems like, hey, you're, you're going to go with an all-defense guy in Duarte because I was just looking at the numbers for him. This is not good shooting numbers for Chris Duarte so far through the season. So you had to be pretty desperate, I think, in order to kind of get into that place. And I, I know what Kevin Herter can provide in a playoff setting. He's done it before for the Hawks and then for uh, not necessarily a good series for the Kings last year, but still can be somebody that, that helps out with that. But um, really, it's going to be about 
Fox and Sabonis, as it always has been. Those guys are still clearly all-stars. They're playing at a high level. Uh, I, I'm noticing this shooting discrepancy for Fox. I wanted to get your, your take on this. He is such an elite three-point shooter and such a horrible foul shooter this year. What's been going on with that? Dude, I wish I could tell you. The free throws have been <laughs> a hectic thing throughout the course of this whole season. It's never exactly been a strength of his, but it is yeah. weird, as you point out. Like Last year, the mid-range became great. He still can get to that shot and will often late in games or late shot clock scenarios, but he kind of converted almost all of them into pull-up threes, and he's hitting those at a really good rate, finishes great around yeah. the rim. He just doesn't, he's not great from the free throw line. And, uh, you know, a lot of Kings fans are like, gosh, they just need to practice more free throws. Like, I promise you they shoot free throws at the end of every practice. And there's no real fix. It's one of those frustrating ones. Last time I checked, they were 30th as a team in free throw percentage. And obviously a lot of that primarily has to do with, with Fox and Sabonis. And yeah, I mean, I feel like there's no real answer to free throws. It's just... It's it it is maybe just a mental. I, like I have no yeah. clue, really. <laughs> uh, for for transparency's sake, Denver's also been going through much of that throughout the season. They've been at thirtieth or 29th or twenty eighth for much of the year, and they just won the title. So like it's it's right. kind of odd to see a team like that struggle from the free throw line. But lo and behold, it, it it can happen to everybody. So hopefully this is just a lull and not something that's actually a big deal come playoff time. Um, the numbers for Fox and Sabonis are interesting. Uh, plus 1.5 net rating in just over 800 minutes. Uh, it's actually about the same as last year, pretty much in line with, with everything that that duo had done previously. Curiously, though, last year the Sabonis on Fox off minutes were really good. This year they have not been good. That seems like if there's anything that's kind of different for the team this year, it might be those numbers. I'm curious to get your thoughts on just some of those lineup combinations and, and how they've built around Sabonis. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously those guys function really well together and, and Malik Monk and Devonis Sabonis have a very good chemistry between them. But to me, a lot of it is just kind of the bench lineup. You know, Domas Sabonis does so much of setting up his teammates while De'Aaron a lot of the times is kind of going and getting his own. Not that he isn't also a playmaker um, that puts other guys in good positions, but I think he is more comfortable doing that when Sabonis clearly would prefer to get his teammates involved. And when those other guys are struggling, I, I think that kind of puts him in a little bit of a tough spot. And in my mind, that's what I see when uh, you look at some of those numbers, like the Kings kind of have seven guys. And even then Kevin Herter yeah. and Harrison Barnes have been questionable. And coach Brown has been pretty transparent that he hasn't specifically said the seven, but I feel like it's pretty easy to point out which seven after the starting five, the typical starting five with Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, and uh, Keegan Murray alongside those two all-stars. You have Malik Monk and Trey Lyles that I feel like you can really count on. And um, even, like I mentioned, some of those starters have been a little bit questionable. So I think it that's, in my mind, what puts Sabonis in a little bit of a weird spot is that he prefers to set up the other guys, and they sure. haven't really been great. Yeah, it seemed playing around with Keon Ellis a little bit. Uh, not really, obviously, JaVale McGee and Alex Len are the, the other couple backup centers that wouldn't play when Sabonis is out there. But yeah, it's just interesting. Davion Mitchell is probably the one guy that you can really point to and say, yeah, that's that's the, the big key factor there for somebody that you would expect to step up in minutes without De'Aaron Fox. But that just hasn't seemed to happen. I, I will say Malik Muck averaging 7.5 assists for 36 minutes is a pretty impressive number. That's a big leap for him from a point guarding perspective. But if that has to happen when Davion Mitchell is out there and Mitchell's just not really like contributing much playmaking at all, then 
it's just not a lot that he can really do out there. Yeah, they've really leaned into trusting uh, Monk as a playmaker this season. He definitely, I think, really started to show that uh, during his time with the Lakers two seasons ago. Charlotte fans will tell you there were always little flashes, but I don't think it was uh, maybe utilized all too much, but they fully leaned into it. Actually, recently they've well, to, to step back a little bit, kind of to your point, they've been flip-flopping between Keon Ellis and Davion Mitchell, who's going to be that backup point guard. Even a couple games ago, they rolled out rookie Colby Jones to see mm. if they could get something from him there. And last couple games, they've really committed to just Malik Monk as the backup point guard. And I, I personally think that's the best way to go. That playmaking jump that you mentioned has been very obvious. And I, I think that that should definitely keep up throughout the course of this season. He's a he's a great decision maker. He can be a little chaotic at times, but it's like a ch- controlled chaos, I would like to say, sure. for himself. So, um, yeah, the backup point guard spot has been weird, and I think you could say the same thing about the backup center. They were going with JaVale McGee. Alex Len had an ankle injury that kept him out a little over a dozen games, I believe it was. And since then, they've kind of fully leaned back into him being that backup big. There's Chris Duarte, there's Juan Toscano-Anderson, who's currently on a 10-day contract getting minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, and Kessler Edwards. Like They're trying so many different things in these different spots, and I think, again, that just really points to he doesn't feel great about any of his options. Yeah, it's tough. That's a tough place for a coach to be because you're, you're expecting certain things, you're expecting things to go uh, one way or the other for you, and, and obviously you want to count on the elite starting group that you can possibly get, and I'm not sure that this group has been elite, and then you start to really start, like, you have that stair-stepping effect where, okay, now you need the bench to be better, and they're just not as good as you probably were expecting, so something feels different. It feels less magical than the run was last year. Maybe it's because the rest of the West is just very competitive this year, when, when last year just felt like everybody had a down year at the same time. What's missing? If, if, you, had to, if you had to pick, let's say, what spot to address in the rotation heading into the trade deadline season? What would it be? Yeah, it's probably the the two or the four. I guess you could call it the three, the other wing spots, really. I think that Keegan Murray, Demonis Sabonis, and, and De'Aaron Fox obviously are kind of the locks. And then after that, I often draw the Denver parallel. You know, you go back three seasons and it's like Will, Bar- Will Barton or Gary Harris at that two spot, Aaron Gordon, or I'm sorry, Paul Millsap starting at the four. And those guys kind of sound like, in my mind, modern Kevin Herter and and Harrison Barnes. So to me, I think that you really need to make upgrades there. Maybe that even can be a higher caliber upgrade if you want to roll with that Aaron Gordon comparison more. Like he obviously provides a lot to that team and like borderline all-star production. So it's difficult to just go out and get those guys. But to me, I look at those complementary pieces not really giving you what you need this season. And that's where I think the upgrade should come from. Keegan Murray seems, don't love the word untouchable, but I guess that's what's getting thrown <laughs> out a lot. Nobody's untouchable. It just depends who we're talking about, right? But sure. I think, uh, I guess about as close as it gets. But really those three I'd roll with and, and try to get better compliments around them, really. That's a decent comparison to Michael Porter Jr. though, where, or at right. least in that in that realm where, yeah, you have the other two guys that you're building around, but you've got this awesome wing, this floor spacing wing that you don't want to give up because the best version of the Kings is going to feature Keegan Murray. So I can understand that for sure. Um, we've heard a lot about Pascal Siakam as, as a potential option. Obviously, that, that's gone through the rumor mill. It seems like the Kings have sort of 
separated themselves from the the Pascal Siakam race. I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts. Is that still somebody that you would target that you would go after, or is the price just too high? I mean, I think I'd look at it. I I would think that. I'm curious if the price will be that high. Like, obviously, he's in going into unrestricted free agency, and everybody made a big deal about him saying uh, that he wouldn't re-sign with Sacramento, and that was just through reportings. I, I don't know about you. I haven't seen him say anywhere he would re-sign, so I don't really know yeah, how to like, take hey, that. We, we just don't know. Like, go right. on now. <laughs> this could be a negotiation tactic, and, and Kings fans like to point back to it's a while ago, but Chris Webber did not want to get on the plane to come to Sacramento after he got traded there and eventually kind of got bought in. So I don't know what the reasoning would be on Siakam's side. If it's on-court production, then I think that he could, I would understand taking the risk and showing him that, no, we can be pretty good with you here. And it's same thing if it's City revolved around, um, but it might just be his role. Like, I, I think that that could be a reason that Indiana is kind of leading this race is that he'd really get to be the two. And I think in Sacramento, he might sort of be the third option, kind of the second. And it's not obviously that black and white is you're the one, you're the two, you're the three. But um, I, I still think they're going to be involved in those conversations. I think that most of what you hear right now would be negotiation tactics. I don't think sure. the Kings want to include Keegan Murray or Malik Monk in any sort of deal. And we're really talking about something revolving around like Harrison Barnes, Kevin Herter, Davion Mitchell, sort of, and, and maybe a pick in there. And if that's enough to get it done, I think that they should and probably would be in conversations, but um, it's definitely questionable in a weird situation. I, I also uh, get the impression, and there's been reportings, that they would prefer to get a trade done sooner in the year rather than waiting for the deadline and have some time to really build up your team. Like Obviously, the Clippers did that as, as early as possible. And that really helped them, I like to think. They, you saw oh, the yeah. growing pains that happened there, and they've definitely worked through it. But I still think a lot of what uh, we're hearing right now is negotiation tactics, and the Kings will definitely be aggressive. I mean, this, this front office is. There was a reporting the other day, um, and I'm drawing a blank on exactly who said it, that they were involved in like Clint Capella conversations. And I'm like, why in the world, to be honest? Hmm. Uh, but they're involved in a lot of conversations. It's a very aggressive but patient front office. So um, I certainly think those talks are still going to go on with Siakam. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. It's a fascinating debate to have, especially when you're when you're looking to push chips all in, because there's been a lot of talk also about, hey, is Sacramento okay just being good? Is is this happy for the fan base? Is this what people are like not necessarily hoping for, but are they are they content in, in a situation like this where the team just had a magical run, still in the the middle of the playoff race? It's not like not like anything crazy here, but uh it is it's probably not a contention year unless a change is made. So I, I'm just curious as to your, we'll, we'll wrap up with that. Just is the fan base content with just being good? Or is this something where you, you want to keep being, trying to be great? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't, uh, from what I've seen, say that they're necessarily content, but obviously uh, Twitter and socials can kind of be a vocal minority and not exactly a great representation of the fan base. But I mean, I, there's definitely a, desire for them to to put more chips on the table and and take more progress and i think that because it's been so long it's easy to forget that progress isn't linear you know i sure. often point to denver and i know that's a very stereotypical thing to do with the team that just won the championship but i do think there's a good amount of parallels when it comes to roster construction and they were so patient you know it took time it's 
one year you're going out and getting Aaron Gordon at a, at a deadline. And then I believe it's the next season, Jamal Murray's out for a while and kind of a down year the whole season, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. And then the next right. offseason, you go get KCP. And it's like it's a slow prog- uh, process to really build this up. And the Kings have all their guys locked up for at least three seasons outside of Malik Monk, really. If you're talking about the core of uh, Demonis Sabonis, who just signed an extension uh, this last offseason, De'Aaron Fox, and Keegan Murray, all these guys are locked up. And you, even Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter are locked up long-term. Uh, Trey Lyles, I believe, signed a two-year deal in the offseason. Sasha Vizenkov, if you want to go a little bit deeper, just signed a three-year deal. So literally everybody but Malik Monk is locked up. And I think that they don't have any reason to be desperate right now in my mind. And and I understand the counter of windows close fast, but I honestly don't think it's exactly open right now and it's going to take the right move for that to happen. So a uh, long-winded way of saying I don't think the fan base is content, but I think there's a chance that they might have to just ride out this season, even though they're going to be aggressive. If they don't see the right thing, I don't think there's any pressure that you have to do something this year. It's all about capitalizing on the right moments. You, you can never... Right. Like you don't want to jump at the wrong opportunity. And too often, I think in the past, Sacramento's jumped at the wrong opportunities to try to get better. And this time, they, you've still got the formula that's really, really solid. That's really, really good. And for, for Denver, like you said, it didn't happen immediately. It happened over a slow build and you could see the build. You could see the progress being made. So maybe that's the most important thing for the Kings now. It's just seeing those steps being taken and, and seeing the progress, whether it's internally or externally, just it's just it, you just got to take it one step at a time and hope that it eventually breaks your way because how often has Denver ever won a championship before this right. last season it's never happened so it's a it's a rare it's a rare thing i think the most important thing that's happened this season is De'Aaron Fox's jump to a point where i firmly believe he can be the best player on a championship team he's playing really engaged on defense he's had that swipe a nickname for a long time and i think it's finally justified now he gets about <laughs> one of these little sneak back steals a game that leads to a easy transition layup old headband fox and he jokes about this uh was crazy and would throw down the windmill or something in transition now it's just a light little layup you know he's kind of boring in that way i guess um, but I think his development as a three-point shooter and as a defender, again, to being at a point where I think he can be the best player on a championship team, that is so important in this formula. And I think having that figured out, if they do agree with that, which I think they do, um, is super important. And the development from Keegan Murray this year, he's been easily their best defender. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if tonight against the Suns, they throw him out on Devin Booker. They've been doing that. They've, there's been lineups that run him at the two because... I think that it's you are what you can guard positionally, and he's definitely guarding twos. He's guarding Dame Lillard before he goes out in that Bucks game and doing a pretty good job. Um, so I think that the development that they've seen from him as a defender, as a rebounder, there's still flashes of that amazing shooting, even if the the numbers are down overall throughout the course of this year. He had a 47-point game where I believe he made 11 in a row, which was one wow. of the craziest things I've, I've seen. Um, so that. I think yeah. that that internal development from De'Aaron and from from Keegan Murray is the most important thing that's happened this year. Love it. And look, it it's never going to happen fast, but for for or maybe it does for these these coastal cities where you get to just add in the best free agents and everybody's like, "Yeah, we're going to we're just going to uh just just sign that guy, just trade for that right. guy, just like, you know, we're going to get this guy's friend and that's how it usually works." But for teams like the Kings and four teams like the Nuggets, it, it's like I can I could sympathize with that for sure. So 
it is a process, but this is a good process to be on, and you still get to support some wins along the way. He is Brendan Nunes of Sacktown1140 and the King's Pulse podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time, man. Let's chat again in about six weeks, all right? Sounds good. Appreciate you, Ryan. Appreciate you, Ryan.